Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Today, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer starts his next series of messages from the Faith Foundation series, A Blueprint for the Church. In today's episode, we focus on the Bible, Revelation. Stay with us to the end. Find out how you can connect to Unity Baptist Church. still have the blueprints up there, which means we're still part of the foundation series that we began when we spoke on Acts 2 at Pentecost to see what are the priorities of the early church and are we still accomplishing the function of what the church is supposed to be doing. One of the things that Acts 2 said is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They understood that there is a doctrine, a teaching about God that comes from God that he has revealed to man. So we're going to take several weeks out, and we're going to look at the doctrine of the Bible. Sometimes if you've been to Bible college for any length of time, they call it bibliology. So we're trying to figure out what is the Bible, how did it come to us, how do we know we can trust it? Is it truly our final authority for faith and practice and everything that we do? Is it sufficient for life and godliness? How do we know that we, you know, the 66 books that we have, that there's going to be no book 67? Uh, we're going to be answering all of these questions about the Bible. And friends, this is one of the most important doctrines that we're going to study. And the reason is because if you can't get right on bibliology, nothing else stands. You say, well, the doctrine of God is more important. How do you know anything about God? It's from the Bible. We said Jesus is the most important doctrine. How do you know anything about Jesus? It's from the Bible. Okay, everything that we know about God comes from God's word. So consequently, if you ever have a person or a church or a denomination that begins to depart and go liberal, what it is, is it's a departure from God's word. They have to begin there. Once you've undermined the scriptures, there's no doctrine that can stand. At this point, it's just this guy says this, this guy says this, we don't agree. I guess we'll part ways and we'll go start our own churches. And so we need an authoritative standard right here. But how do we know that this is authoritative, or is it meant to be authoritative in our life? Open up your Bibles to one of the most important chapters and verses in all the Bible talking about bibliology. How do we know God's Word is what it says it is? And is it, this morning, we're going to look at its authority. And the title of the message is Bible and Culture, okay? How do we know that the Bible and not culture is our authority. And this, this debate rages, by the way, throughout the world. Many of you know that my wife and I, we were missionaries to China and Malaysia uh, 13 years. And during that time, one of the biggest problems we had, especially in China for whatever reason, is we would start preaching from the Word of God. And guess what people on the ground want to say? Christianity, that's a Western religion. We're in the East. In other words, God's Word, His Bible, doesn't apply to us because we're Chinese. You Westerners, you like your Bible, that's fine. We don't need it. That would be especially apparent when we would teach on things like marriage and parenting, you know, where we actually have to live out the Bible. We're not just talking about Jesus and something he did thousands of years ago. We're talking about how do you treat your wife when you get home, okay? And once we start meddling with how we live, God has something to say about marriage, doesn't he? You read Ephesians 5. 
God has something to say about children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, Ephesians 6. And so we start talking about what God says about marriage in the home. And I saw one guy in particular, we're doing a parenting training, and I saw him growing less and less interested, and pretty soon he folded his arms, and then he starts sitting back. You know, because that's when you do when you're disinterested. I'm going to get as far away from this doctrine as I possibly can. You're telling me to love my wife and to put her needs above my own and to sacrifice and give myself for her like Jesus did for the church? I don't think that's for me. That's Western thought. And so pretty soon then I see him, he's whispering next door to all the guys who are next to him. And so I just stopped the class and I said, uh, you know, uh, fella, okay, uh, you know, what, what's the deal here? Do you, do you have a question? Do you not understand? He says, no, actually, I'm just telling these guys here that what he's teaching here is just Western church. Western people do this. We are Chinese. We have 5,000 years of history. We don't do it that way. Is that true? Does does culture have more power than the Bible? Does culture get to dictate what parts of the Bible we obey and which parts we throw out? It does not. If you do, you have functionally created a Jefferson Bible. Have you seen a Jefferson Bible before? I've got a picture of one here for you, if it'll come up. Whoa, what happened to that Bible? Looks like Edward Scissorhands started reading the Psalms or something. It looks like a kid did a project for school. What? I hope your Bible doesn't look like that, and most of you would never dream of doing that. You see a verse here, husbands love your wives as Christ, and you just throw that part out, well, we're never going to read that, and we wouldn't do that. We would never dream of doing that. We're like, no, God says, do not add to or take from the scriptures in Revelation. I'm not going to do that, but can we ever do that functionally? As a culture, we look at part of the Bible, and we say, I know that's in the Bible, but you got to understand, this is China. We don't do it like that. We have 5,000 years of history. We don't do that. Or sometimes, uh, can culture even be a big deal here? You know, people will look at you and say, I know your Bible says that, but this is Appalachia. Better get used to it. This is our culture. Friends, what is culture? Culture is simply this. It's repeated behavior by a group of people for a long time that we've accepted as normal. Can normal behavior ever be unbiblical? It sure can I mean, anybody want to go back to the Holocaust in Nazi Germany where you have a bunch of people agreeing that it is good to kill Jews? Is it good to kill Jews? By the way, the answer to that is no, it's not. Uh, it's not good. Just because a preponderance of people within a culture decide that it's right doesn't make it right. So sometimes the Bible and the culture, they come into conflict with each other, and then we have to make a decision. Is God calling, for instance, is God calling Chinese to conform their lives to the Word of God? He is. Paul had to face this in his day, too, if you remember. In Acts chapter 17, uh, in verse 30, Paul was preaching at the Areopagus, named after Ares, uh, one of their gods, and it was a council of nobility. It was the pinnacle of education and philosophy. Your greatest thinkers were a part of this council. And Paul goes to this council, uh, this bastion of culture, and he tells them in verse 30, he says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. Paul is telling him that the people are ignorant. They don't know everything about life they need to know. That comes from God. And so he tells them, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to change your thinking, to disagree with what you used to believe and agree with God. He commands all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. The fact that God judges a world in righteousness implies that there is a standard by which man and churches are measured. And God will judge every man according to his deeds, be they, uh, the Bible tells you in Corinthians, whether they're good or evil. 
God will judge. And so there's a standard that we have to follow. I'm not my own standard. In America, if you ever go to share the gospel with people, what you'll hear often is, well, that's good for you. I'm glad you found what you wanted. But for me, this is what I believe. And so in America, we have humanism. You are the standard of right and wrong now. As long as you ain't hurting anybody. Okay, that's, that's the real thing. As long as you aren't hurting anybody, as long as you don't hurt anybody's feelings, then whatever you choose to believe is just fine. They will not conform to a standard. What does God say? God right now commands all men everywhere to repent. God commands America to repent. You say, well, that's just for America. It's a Western religion. No, it's not. If anything, it's Middle Eastern. Jesus was a Jew. He doesn't he know they're hanging out in Paris. He didn't grow up in New York. It's not a Western religion at all. He's right there in the middle, so he can reach both the East and the West. I don't think that's coincidental. He's, he's right there. And so God, does God command China to repent of its Buddhism and its atheism? Yes, he does. Does God command India to repent of its Hinduism, or do all roads lead to God? No. Paul says at the Areopagus... He commands all men everywhere to repent. Shift and change your thinking because this is not a book written to Americans. At least I didn't check. You may have a new American Standard Bible, but it doesn't mean it was written to just Americans. Okay? This is a book written for all men for all time. This is a standard by God, our creator. Who did God create? All men. And so all men are accountable to this book right here. It is our only authority in life. Otherwise, if you don't have this as an authority... All you have is a bunch of kids on a playground arguing over, you know, uh, fantastic facts. And then one kid says, says who? Says me, you know. And we don't, we don't have a standard. It's just says who. We don't want to get into that place. No, God gave us an authoritative standard, and we desperately need it today. One, because we live in a world of error. That's point number one. Verse 13, he says, Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being Deceived. He's saying, God is saying there will always be evil people. Now, today in our culture in America, do people recoil at the idea that there's morally good and evil? They sure do. In fact, even in movies you watch, when I was a kid growing up, there were bad guys and there were good guys. The bad guys in those old westerns, they wore black. I mean, it was, it was really on the nose. You know, black guy, he wears black, he has a black hat, he does bad things, he has a handlebar mustache, you know, and he spits. That's the bad guy. And then the good guy comes in, and what is the good guy? What, what's he wearing? White. What's his horse? It's white. He comes in, and he's just this, this gallant guy, and he's wearing a star on his chest, a symbol of light and justice. And there was very clearly defined good and clearly defined evil. Why? Because at that point in time, America lived by a standard. Today, what do we have? You don't have good and evil in movies. What do you have? You have a guy that's, that thinks he's right over here, and you have a misunderstood guy over here. We understand. We relate to, the, to that guy. He only does those bad things because this happened. But in God's eyes, are there morally evil people? According to God, there are. There's not just misunderstood people. These are not just people making mistakes in life. They're not just people who chose a different path. God says, when I give you a path to follow and you choose a different path, it's off the path. The word for that is transgression. You've sinned. You're not following God's standard. And so God holds man to a standard. He says there are such things as evil people and even, he says, what term? Imposters. This is somebody who wants to appear truthful, but they're not. Okay, Just like Satan, it says he disguises himself as an angel of light. So not everybody who looks godly is godly. He says, and they're going to go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Is everything getting better every day in every way? No. Sorry, 1960s children, we're not entering the age of Aquarius. 
We're not going to go up in your beautiful balloon, you know, and ha, ah, ah, ha, you know, that's, that's kind of all these beautiful songs of the 60s, make love, not war, man, and just everything's getting better, and we're just going to, if we can just sing our song for the world to hear, man, we're going to change the world. Have we gone from, from worse to worse? We sure have. Things have only gotten more difficult. The further you get away from God's word, friend, the more society begins to unravel and fall apart. Why? Because the Bible says, Jesus, uh, in him all things consist and have their being. When we get away from God's standard, we don't understand who we are. We don't even know what bathroom to use apart from God. And I don't even mean that facetiously. We start to lose our minds. Like Romans 1 says, we profess to be wise, but become fools. We think we're smart, but apart from God's word, we're not. We're, we're deceived and being deceived. And so we live in a day that needs a moral standard. By the way, when we talk about evil, we talk about right and wrong. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not a follower of God, technically you need to remove those terms from your vocabulary. Why? Why, can, why do atheists not get to use the terms right and wrong? Because there is no objective right and wrong if there is, it assumes there's a moral standard outside of man by which we are compared. So if you're a bad guy and somebody steals your car, you can't say, hey, you did evil in doing that. You can't use that term. Okay, it may be unlawful, but you can't say evil. Okay, because evil assumes good and bad according to a moral standard that comes outside of man that comes from God. But God says there is evil. And it says when man's heart is filled with sin, he's going to eventually come to the place where he rejects sound doctrine. Okay? 2 Timothy 2, or 4, 2 through 4, Paul commands Timothy. He tells him, preach the word. What are you supposed to preach, Timothy? Things people are going to want to hear? Preach things just to make people laugh and make them come to your church and fill the pews? No, he says, preach the word. Don't preach your opinion. Open the Bible. Read what it says. Explain what it says. You let God do a lot of application after that, but you need to preach the word. And then he says, be ready in season and out of season, when it's convenient and when people don't like you. Preach those passages anyway. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That means show them what's right, show them what's wrong, and encourage them to get right with God. He says, do this with complete patience and teaching. It's going to take time. He says, but the time is coming. He says, when people will not endure sound teaching. For something to be sound, this literally means that it passes a physical exam. You go to your doctor, there's certain standards he's looking for. Your blood pressure needs to be what? Like 120 over 80. You know, if you're like 220 over like 150, you know, you're in trouble. You know, there's, there's a problem there. You got high blood pressure. Why? Well, who are you to judge me about my blood pressure? You try that with your doctor. Who are you to judge me? My blood pressure is just fine the way that it is. No, there's a standard of what is healthy. It's sound. That's the term that's used here. There's going to come a time when there's doctrine that is sound. It's healthy because it conforms according to a standard. He says, but there's going to come a time when people, they're not going to endure that. Don't you be teaching the word? Don't you know that America has gone beyond this book? We don't need it anymore. We have our own ideas. That's an old-fashioned thought. We don't need that in our life. We've transgressed. We've gone beyond. We're supposed to hold fast. He says, but there's going to come a day, people, they will not endure sound teaching, but rather having itching ears. Your dog comes up, he wants scratch behind the ears, right? So he's going to come up to you and, you know, you give him a scratch and he likes that, okay? He doesn't like you taking him to the vet. 
people are the same way. We don't like getting taken to the vet. They're going to give me a shot. They're going to tell me where I'm unhealthy. We just want to be scratched behind the ears. And he says, there's going to come a day when people who have itchy ears, they're going to gather for themselves teachers, it says, to suit their own passions. In other words, I'm already choosing to live this way. I don't care what God's word says. I want to live this way. And I want teachers who will tell me that I don't have to change. I want you to show me how to have a good life. But don't ask me to leave what I'm currently doing. Just show me how I can live in sin, but still enjoy the blessing of God. He says there will be people who look for those kind of teachers and they're going to turn away from listening to the truth and they wander off into myths. There's only one authority given to man and it's right here in God's word. That is our only authority. There is no other authority beyond that. There's no people that are an authority beyond this. I don't care if you're talking about one man, the Pope who speaks ex cathedra and now it's true. Or if you're talking about a group of people, an entire culture say it's right. It doesn't matter. We don't discern truth by popular vote. God has spoken, and we either choose to believe it or we choose to reject it. As for me, number two, we're going to preach from authority. He tells Timothy, there's going to be people like this who learn that you know you make a lot more friends if you just tell people what they want to hear. He says, but as for you, Timothy, verse 14, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul commands Timothy to continue in the Bible. Continue is a word that means to live somewhere. You've decided to put down roots. Now, I, had, I, I vacationed once in Kentucky. I never lived in Kentucky before. But when my wife and I moved here, the first thing we did is we looked to put down roots. We bought a house. That's a commitment from us to you. We're planning on putting roots down, okay? And so, I'm sorry if I disappoint some of you, okay? Uh, we put down roots. We plan to remain. We plan to live here. We plan to stay here. We plan to make a home. We plan to sink our lives into you in this community. That's what Paul tells Timothy to do. But as for you, continue. Sink your roots in. Live here. Dwell here. Let your roots go deep down. Draw the, what do roots do? They draw the nutrients up from the ground and up into their lives so that it produces fruit. And that's what the Word of God does. We put our roots down. And, it, and as the Word of God flows through our life, it produces life. It makes us wise unto salvation. It produces fruit. So continue in the things of the Bible. Uh, Timothy, he says, is one link in a long, time of long line of people who don't compromise truth. And that's what Christianity is. It's a relay race. If all you do is look at how you personally are doing with the Lord, but you're not passing on what you know to your children, friends, we have failed. Christianity in truth is a link. It's a bunch of links put together. And if we drop one link, there's an entire series of generations that are going to be affected negatively toward God. And so Christianity is a, it's, it's links in a chain. And you're one part of the link. So I want to ask you, who are you passing what you know onto? Who are you passing it to? You giving it to your kids? Oh no, they come to church for that. Oh, is that where children get their education in God, by the way? They should get education in God here, but what is the primary input in a child's life? The nucleus of spiritual development is what? The home. The home was created first, not the church. Okay? 
when a pastor's qualifications, one of his qualifications is he has to lead his own house well. Arguably, if he is not leading his own household well, what's he supposed to do? Step down, get your home together. Now you can step back up and start leading the church again. What does that tell you about priority? The home is the central nucleus of society and spiritual development. If your home's not healthy, God never tells you leave your home because the church isn't healthy. He tells, but he will say, you need to step down and get your home healthy. Now you're able to lead the church of God again. Which by the way, that's why there isn't, it's no mistake friends, that Satan is attacking our society in the area of the home. If Satan can dissolve our home, he can dissolve our country. How's he gonna dissolve our home? He's gonna start telling you things like there's no such thing as gender. He's going to start telling you that, there's, that, that your, your old antiquated ideas of family, that God created male and female, and they had a baby, and they populate the earth, that's antiquated. We've now learned that, you know, there is no such thing as gender, and if you want to have two daddies or two mommies, or if you want to have eventually three daddies or three mommies, or a, or, or a dad and, the, and a goat, and you, you laugh, you say, that's ridiculous. That's actually offensive. Friends, there's a reason the Bible talks about bestiality. You say, there's no way we would ever get there. Friends, society has already gone there several times. How do we get there? It's because we slowly allow this not to be our authority, and we allow people to be our authority. We start polling the audience. Hey, what do you think? You think this is what marriage should look like? Okay, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And enough of us agree on it. Now our culture has made a proclamation. We no longer believe in the standard. We, we have a better idea. But like I said, truth is never discovered through popular vote. The Bible is our authority. And we must preach that authority. So verses 16 to 17, we're going to look at, we're going to park here for the better part of the morning because this is, these are two of the most important verses on bibliology. What is the word of God? Why should we follow it? What's it good for? It's all answered right here. He says, all scripture in verse 16 is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that... The man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Friends, these are some really <laughs> declarative statements. They're, they're very clear that the word of God is, the first thing he's going to say is it's inspired, okay? It's God-breathed. We say inspired. Sometimes we'll talk, you know, I'll, I'll go to someone and say, man, Tyler, I, was, I felt inspired to work out this weekend. Tyler says, didn't look like it. Uh, you know, that's not the kind of inspired we're talking about. I just felt like doing something. When the Bible talks, when we talk about inspiration, we're talking about something that God does through man. It's not that it originated in the heart of man. The Bible, man did not think up this book, okay? This is a God-breathed book. How do you know? Well, that's what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, for one. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God. In the Greek, this is theonoustos. Theo, where we get word theology, God, right? It's where we get Theo Huxtable from the Cosby show. You're thinking that. Actually, it is. Theodoron is actually, uh, or, uh, is, uh, means a gift of God. So it actually does mean Theo. You'll remember now what Theo means. Uh, Theo Neustos, pneuma. Uh, you men, you use um, pneumatic tools. What's it using? Air. Pressure. And so pneuma means wind or air or spirit, and that's what the Holy Spirit is called. And so the Bible, God says, is not something that man came up with. It's God-breathed. God breathed the words of the Bible through men. So this answers the question, isn't the Bible just a book written by a bunch of men? No, it's not. The book, we'll talk about this another Sunday, but the book is not a man that man would write. 
if he could because it condemns him and gives him no power to save himself. There's a reason every other religion in the world other than Christianity says you can save yourself. The Bible says only God can save you. And by the way, all your good works, they're filthy rags before God. You can't earn your way to heaven. It's what Jesus has done alone. And so that's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world is that we follow a standard here. Uh, the word of God is inspired. It is God-breathed. Uh, I've really been enjoying our music up here. I have some fine instruments over here. Uh, Leah, do you want me to play with your, uh, your clarinet over here? Uh, she probably doesn't. Um, but when we, we heard the playing over here, nobody looked at this clarinet and said, behold, did you hear what was coming out of that clarinet today? That's a mighty fine clarinet. I hope that clarinet comes back to church next week. No, you hear this music, or you hear Shield playing the flute, or, you know, the trumpet, or who... You, think, you don't think, what a great instrument. You think, wow, that person has skill. They are, because they are the one producing the melody. Yeah, you have an instrument that must be used, but the melody comes from the lips and the lungs and the mind of the person holding the instrument. That's the word of God. Okay? It was God-breathed. Man might be the instrument. God is the one breathing through them to bring his truth to mankind. And there are several proofs for this. We're going to talk about it on a future Sunday. So cliffhanger, we're going to come back to it. Okay, so the Bible is God-breathed. Now we have to answer this question too. How much of Scripture is actually God-breathed? Well, you were quick. I didn't even have to get on to you about that one. All Scripture is God-breathed. You're going to hear people say deceptive things like, well, the Bible contains the Word of God, but it's not fully the Word of God. What's the problem with saying the Bible contains the Word of God? It's not true. <laughs> the Bible is the Word of God. Those are two very different statements. One is on a slippery path into liberalism, getting away from God's Word. Okay, so we, the Bible is the Word of God, and they'll even say things like this. They'll twist the Scripture here in 2 Timothy 3.16. They'll say things like, See if you can spot the error. All scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for proof. Did you catch the error? They said all scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable. What should it read? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. But you'll have people who, they want to tip their hat to God and say, yeah, God, I think this is a great book you wrote here. Wow, mighty fine material here. Uh, but we don't really actually believe all of this. I mean, we don't believe in a... <laughs> you don't actually believe in a literal seven-day creation, do you? Do you know how impossible that sounds? I always want to laugh when Christians act like it's so impossible for God to make it in seven days. Can we just say this? God didn't need seven days. Consider the God you, you say you believe in. Is God infinite in power? What does infinite mean? Without limit. God didn't need seven days. Why'd he take seven days? To give you and I an example to follow so we didn't think we had to run and work every day of our life and exhaust ourselves. No, no, no. There's gonna be a day you rest and you cease from your labors and you're gonna focus on me. Okay? God didn't need seven days. But sometimes man becomes a judge of God's word rather than to submit himself to it. And we start to apply our own human reasoning and logic like Thomas Jefferson did. When something uh, offended him, it seemed over the top. When it didn't uh, cooperate with Enlightenment era thinking, he just cut it out. And Christians try to do that with the Bible sometimes. No, every, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. In fact, Jesus will go a step further. Matthew 5, 18, look what Jesus says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, 
By the way, that hasn't happened yet. Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, iota and dot, you need to understand this. This is a Greek translation of what Jesus was communicating about the Hebrew. Okay? Some of your translations may say jot and tittle. Uh, they're just... Here's what an iota is, in, or uh, iota and dot, a jot and tittle. Here's what they are in the Hebrew. So if you look over here at a, uh, an iota, it was referring to the smallest Hebrew letter, the, the yod, okay? And it's just, it's, on the, it's, it's there on the left, and it looks almost just like an apostrophe. It's a tiny little, almost nothing-like letter. And Jesus says, even that isn't going to be corrupted until I come back. Well, what, what's this other, little, this other little tiny stroke over here, this little, this little tittle, this, this small thing? It's a part, it's a fragment of a letter. It's like a serif in modern typeset. It's like a fragment of a letter. Jesus says even the smallest letter and the smallest fragment of the letter is going to be divinely preserved by the power of God himself until the end of time when we don't need someone to tell me about God because I'm with him face to face. That's a pretty strong declarative statement. Now, you say, well, that sounds pretty impossible. Who do you believe in again? Is God infinite in power? Yes. Infinite in wisdom? Yes. Is God able then to infinitely and, and supernaturally preserve his word unto time and eternity to accomplish his purposes? Yes, he has, and it will. Despite the best efforts of man to destroy the Bible, the Bible's still here. Also, some people will try to say that moral portions of the Bible are inspired. The things that talk about God are inspired, but not the things of history and science. Is that true? No, it's not. You say, well, the Bible isn't a history book. The Bible's not a science book. Okay, it isn't a book meant to teach you, you know, uh, about Napoleon. No, you're right. It's not a book that was written specifically to teach you uh, about, you know, cell structures and anatomy specifically. But when the Bible speaks on issues of history and science, it will do so authoritatively. Why? Because it's an infinite and perfect God. Friends, let me tell you this. If you saw all kinds of historical errors in the Bible, can you really trust anything else that's in there? No, you can't. Where else? You'll have to put a giant asterisk next to everything in the Bible. Well, if I can't trust it here, why can't I trust it here? Okay? And so, no, the Bible, while not written as a book of history and science, when it records it, it does it with flawless accuracy. In fact, quite often, one of the evidences that this Bible has the signature of God upon it is it records things that man couldn't have known when it recorded it. Did you know that even scientifically, there's several things that the Bible records that man had not discovered until many times, hundreds of years later, before the first scientist even postulated that this might be true? And the Bible records it. I'll give you just a few examples. The spherical earth, uh, vents in the ocean, the currents of the ocean, the rotation of the earth. In fact, let me tell you something about the currents of the ocean. The Bible talks about it hundreds of years before man even postulated that, that, that there were certain paths and currents that the ocean followed. Do you know how man discovered the currents of the ocean? Did you realize it was the Bible that made man even think of that idea? It is, that's exactly right. Uh, you have a fellow who's named uh, Matthew Maury, and he's called the father of oceanography. And one day he was reading the Bible to his child and came to Psalm 8. And the Bible talks about the paths of the ocean. He started thinking, huh, I've never been taught this in science class, but I wonder if, I wonder if the Bible's true here. And so this sent him out on a quest and on a journey to discover, is the Bible true scientifically? And guess what Mr. Maury found? 
that the Bible was authoritative. And guess who the world gives credit to discovering the paths of the oceans? Mr. Maury. Friends, the Bible recorded it long before he ever lived. The reason we know about some of these scientific things is because man read it in the Bible first. This Bible is an authoritative book. Why else is the Bible our sole authority? B is because it is sufficient. It's a sufficient resource. It's, it's everything we need for life and godliness. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. What do these things mean? Teaching is everything, it's doctrine. It's whatever you need to know about God. You ever wonder what God was like? I wonder where we can learn about God. I wonder. Everything you need to know about God is right here. We don't need to look to some shaman. I don't need someone with a crystal ball. I don't need Shirley MacLaine with her crystals. I don't need to be, I don't need to smoke peyote. I don't need to go on walkabout. I don't need to do any of these things to learn more about who God is. Everything God wants us to know is in this book. And yet I'll tell you this, everything in this book, there's still far more to God than what we even revealed. Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about their secret things that belong to the Lord, but what he has revealed to us. You know, we study that and we pass that on to our children. But there's far more about God that this book doesn't even have time to tell us. You can't describe an infinite God to a finite man. We don't have the time. So the Bible is sufficient for teaching. It's also sufficient for reproof. Reproof is the Bible shows us where we're wrong. The Bible has a standard, and then man either follows that standard or he goes to the left or the right, and he's off of the standard. Kind of like your teacher when you used to... Back when I was in high school, they didn't teach computing. They taught uh, typing. Any of you guys have that blessing of a teacher with a yardstick smacking a desk telling you, A, A, A. Anyway, and so when you got done with your paper, you would set your margins and things, and the teacher, they would lay this overlay on top of your paper, and they wanted to see if your margins were right. If you were inside or outside the margin, you got the red pen. You are outside of the standard. There is a standard by which we were judged in typing. Well, Bible's saying there's a standard by which we're judged in life. He says it's right here. It's for reproof. Uh, he says the Bible is profitable for correction. This means to restore something to its proper condition. Over time, our cars, uh, we beat them up. <laughs> uh, my dad had an old beater truck, and he always wanted to restore it. He had a bunch of old cars. I don't know what it is. Men at that era, they, did, they all liked old cars. He had an old 57 Chevy. Uh, he had a 55 Ford Fairlane hardtop convertible. That's like the Beatles used to have. Uh, he had a 36 Ford pickup. But what I usually wrote in was his 58 Ford, this red 58 Ford pickup. It, no seat belts, by the way. No seat belts, just this hard bench seat and tools over the floor, and it's reeked of motor oil. You, got, you, you had a dad like that too, didn't you? And uh, there's so much play in the wheel, it looks like a kid on a carnival ride. And that's just, that was his truck. But he would always talk about wanting to restore that and not just spruce it up and make it fancy and give it a paint job. He wanted to bring it back to showroom condition using all original parts. I don't know how he's going to do it, but that was his, that was his desire. That's the word we're talking about here. God is able. Man has diverted from God's standard of what is right, but God has a way through his word to restore us back, to bring us back to showroom new. And he can do that for you too. I don't care what sins you've done. I don't care how long you've done those sins. I don't care how long you've been living a certain lifestyle. Jesus Christ can come. He died on the cross for your sins. He lived the life you couldn't. He took the punishment you and I deserved. He took it upon himself so that if we will put our faith in him, 
The Bible says he will restore you to factory new. You say, you don't know what I've done. God doesn't care. His sacrifice was infinite. Your sins are not infinite. He can restore you to factory new. And that's what he does for all of us. Psalm 23 says he restores my soul. He sets me back upright. So the Bible's good for correction. Um, it, it restores us back to where we're supposed to be. I want to show you briefly in Ephesians 4.28. There's a verse here where we see correction, uh, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. It says, and see if you can spot this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he will have something to share with everyone in need. What's the reproof? What's he telling you not to do? Don't steal. That's the reproof. Then he shows us what is correction. Where does he show us what's right? Don't steal, but rather let him labor. Okay? But then he's going to give us training in righteousness. Okay? Training in righteousness, briefly, it just means that uh, we're showing people a moral reason why. When your kids are really little and they need to obey you, what do you tell them? What every mom and dad says to their kids. Why should I obey you? Because I said so. And when they're little, that's good enough. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. God doesn't give you anything else. But as your children get older, you don't want to keep saying, because I said so. Don't tell your 14-year-old, obey me because I said so. Now they need a moral reason why. They need a standard outside of you. Why should I keep following this? Because here's what God's word says. And so he gives us a moral reason why here. Why should I no longer steal? Why should I labor with hard work, doing honest work with my own hands? Why? Here's the training in righteousness. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's not enough just not to steal. You need to live your life for the opposite corresponding spiritual virtue. You need to live a life that sees its purpose and goal as blessing enriching the lives of the people around you. That's training in righteousness. Okay. So, uh, when we use the Bible in this way, what will it accomplish? Okay, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 again. We do all this so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, it says, for every good work. That's God's intention for all of us. God wants all of us to be equipped for every good work. Remember, last week we talked about what is a member. A member is a body part. A member does something. God, by the way, God's saving you from hell. His primary purpose in saving you from hell is not just to be, wow, rescued you out of that. God rescues us from hell to something, to serve him. And so we're a body part. We're, we're an ear, we're, we're a foot, we're a hand. We do something. The purpose that we have the word of God for is to, so that you'll be complete. Some Bibles will say perfect. Perfect just means you're lacking nothing. So that we are equipped for every good work. God's intention with the word of God is not just to get you to come and sit in a Bible in a church service. What did we talk about last week? A church, it's not a building, it's not a service. A church is a people, and it's a mission. A church is an ecclesia, the Greek is, it called out ones. God plucked you out of hell, out of darkness, it says, and put you into glorious light. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and ordained you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Okay, God has intentions for our life to not just, not just give us the life of Christ, but to allow us to live the life of Christ, to do what Jesus did. So the word of God helps us be complete, equipped for every good work. So I hope this describes your life. 
Do you feel equipped for every good work? If you're saying no right now, you're probably at the top of the Unity funnel. If you haven't seen the Unity funnel yet, it's not up here. Don't look for it on the PowerPoint. <laughs> You'll see it around the church eventually here. You're at the top of the funnel. You're at church, but what are we supposed to do? Keep going down the funnel to grow. We have community groups meet on Sunday mornings. Some of them uh, will start meeting in homes because they can't come on Sunday mornings. Then beyond that, what do we have? We have D groups. Friends, that's where we equip you for every good work. I can't equip you up here. I don't know if you're even listening. I don't know if you're checking the sports scores. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. In a D group, they do. And we equip you. We show you how to study the Bible. We show you how to pray. We show you how to find meaning and purpose for your life. We show you how to overcome sin, how to know Jesus, how to have security that I'm truly a born-again child of God. That all happens in D groups because we can't do it in bigger groups. So if you want to be equipped for every good work, friends, get into a D group. Now, I have to say this. When we're talking about the Bible being sufficient, okay, we don't need any, I mean, do we, do we need anything beyond what God has already given to us? What does the Bible say? All scripture is sufficient to do what? Equip you for every good work. Do we need something beyond this? Do I need book 67? The Mormons will say so, by the way. I'm not trying to dog on the Mormons. They're sweet people. But friends, they don't believe in the same Jesus you do. They believe that their Jesus was a man like you and he became God. They won't tell you that on day one. They believe that your purpose in life uh, is to populate planet with your own soul children. And the purpose of a good Mormon woman, by the way, is to be eternally pregnant. Anybody want to sign up for that? They don't tell you that right away. Okay, but that's why they tell you. I remember the ads when I was a kid. If you guys remember the old Mormon ads, they would always say, wouldn't it be nice if there was another testament of Jesus Christ? No, the answer to that is no. Why? Because God gave us everything that we need that the man of God may be complete and for every good work. When somebody adds book 67, friends, you need to run because God says this book is complete. It's finished. It's done. And we'll talk more about that again on another Sunday. There's always going to be a Christian or a cult out there that wants to add to the word of God because it now makes them the authority. And that's when you've got to watch out and be careful. How do Christians do that today? Very few Christians are going to, like the cults do, add a book to the Bible. But what do we do? We've talked about it before, and I'll just briefly mention it here. They will, add, they will add to the authority of this word by saying, God gave me a word for you, and you need to follow this. Okay? There will be actual, you know, they'll say, God told me. Again, I don't want to keep beating this horse, but be careful with those terms because you're claiming divine revelation. You're telling them that what God told you is absolute truth, and it has to be followed with the same kind of detail that you would follow John 3.16. We had a fellow in college one time told my wife, God told me we're supposed to get married. Okay? By the way, it wasn't me. <laughs> and this, this fellow said, God told me we're supposed to get married. Well, my wife, if she was obedient then and believed in him, should have married that guy because how does she disobey God? God commanded it. Had another lady, my wife used to be really big into Mary Kay, and she, she was really close to getting her pink Cadillac, by the way. And uh, she didn't. She gave it up to go to China. Uh, but there was a lady shortly before that who prophesied to her and said, God told me you're going to earn that pink Cadillac in six months. Did you earn it? No. She gave it up to go to China. Now, she would have gotten it there, but that lady just made a prediction based upon stuff, and then she, she blamed it on God. Friends, this happens all the time. Read 1 Kings 13. Have a young prophet. God tells him, go talk, prophesy to this king. Come straight home. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. He starts going home. An old prophet hears about this and for whatever reason ran out to him and said, hey, Come by and hang out with me. Have dinner. Now, what should the young prophet have done? Say, I don't need your new prophetic word. I already had a word from God. But he listened. Because this old man said, an angel told me. 
that you're supposed to come and eat with me. And rather than standing on what God said, he goes with this old prophet and he eats and he gets on his donkey. He gets down the road and it says, God sent a lion and the lion tore this man to pieces but didn't touch the donkey. And then afterwards, this is the interesting, the lion just sat down next to the, the donkey and just stood there while people walked by on the road. Sort of like your cat when they bring up the dead mouse on the porch and they leave it on the porch. Behold what I've done. That's what this lion did. He just shows, look what I did. It's meant to be a sign. It's meant for people to see this and go, wow, I remember this guy wasn't supposed to stop and he stopped and God took his life just like he said he would. And so friends, sometimes we, we have a word of God. The Bible says it's complete and it's done and it's finished and you don't need new words. But there's always gonna be some Christian out there who's gonna try to one-up you and say, well, your Bible is cute that you believe just in the Bible, but I've got a new word for you. I've got a prophetic word. There's churches even within the Southern Baptist Convention, that'll tell you, by the way, there's new prophetic words being given. Friend, don't you believe a word of that? Here's what they'll tell you, though. Oh, but they're not, they're not fully inspired and authoritative. They're not, they're not perfect like Old Testament prophecies are. Same God? Yeah. Same gift? Yeah, prophecy. But theirs had to be perfect and mine don't. Friends, that's not true. Either God gives you a true and perfect prophetic word or he's not giving a, prophet, a new and pure and prophetic word. We don't need new prophecies beyond the scripture. It is complete. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable so that you are complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't need more. We gotta ask ourselves, why are we looking for more? If God says this is complete, why do you want something more than what God gave you? Like that spoiled kid at Disney who's, who's, you know, on the ground. He's throwing his Mickey ice cream on the ground because he wants that T-shirt, not this one that you bought him. And we're just, we're dissatisfied with what God gave us. More than this, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, adds to the sufficiency of scriptures. He'll say, God's divine power, right? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? Through our knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence by which he has given us what? Great and precious promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Everything we need for life and godliness, where's it found? Second Peter 1, where's it found? It's found through our knowledge of him, through his great and precious promises. I don't need a book 67. I don't need somebody telling me God said to me. I don't need someone giving me a new prophecy. Friends, either this Bible is complete or God owes me an apology. And yes, it's meant to be that offensive because God said this is complete. If God goes back in his word and says, no, 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 you actually need more than what this Bible has, there's, a, there's, there's trouble there. I'll just throw this out here too because there's a lot of people that ask me about it all the time. What about Christians who have visions and dreams? Should Christians today be looking for visions and dreams? Friends, I'll say this right off the bat. God can do anything he wants, right? But should these be a normative part of a Christian's life? No, let me just tell you right now. In the Bible, it was never normative. Read all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament. People didn't often have visions and dreams. And if they did, maybe they had one. And it wasn't all people. It was like somebody who's like a special priest or a, a special apostle or some kind of prophetic gift God was speaking through them. In your New Testament, under the New Covenant, Pentecost to today, do you know how many, how many visions the Bible records? By the way, the difference between a vision and a dream. Vision, you're awake. Dreams, you're asleep. That's it. Do you know how many visions the Bible records under the New Covenant in the New Testament? Five. And they were always apostolic kind of types and prophetic types. 
They weren't common. They weren't expected to be common. Do you know how many dreams are mentioned under the new covenant in the Bible? Zero. Zero. Now that's pretty weird if we're supposed to be looking for new truth from God through visions and dreams. Zero. So friends, we don't rely on these things. We don't go, yeah, I know God's word is good, 2 Timothy is good, but I want to get something new, something fresh, something encouraging from God. I want something more than what he's given to me. We're not supposed to be looking for that. In fact, what did Jesus say to the Jews who are always looking for signs? He says, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after the sign, and I'm not going to give you one except for the sign of Jonah. In other words, I'm going to go into the earth, and we be buried for three days, and I'm going to rise again. That's all you're going to see. The unsaved Jews were always seeking signs. Evil King Herod always wanted a sign. Simon the sorcerer wanted the signs. Thomas, who wanted to be proven, show me, show me, Jesus. Jesus shows up and he says, Thomas, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have what? Not seen and yet believed. What does God want from us? He wants us to live by faith, not by sight. He wants us just to take the word of God and say, this is enough. This is complete. This is finished. It's done. I don't need any more. God, I'm content and I'm happy with just this book. I'm not looking to have some kind of out-of-body experience. I don't need to sit on Jesus' lap and stroke his face. You laugh, but I mean, that people, people tell me these kind of stories all the time. You turn on TBN or one of these channels, and there's always a story about somebody who had an out-of-body experience as a Christian and went up to heaven, and they're opening doors, and they're seeing wonderful things. You don't need more than what the Bible's given to us. That's what it means when it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is enough to thoroughly equip you for every good work. It's all we need for life and godliness. This alone is our standard. And you say, man, why are you shouting all of a sudden? We were having so much fun. Uh, friends, I'm shouting this from the mountaintop because this, this concept that this isn't enough is entering into mainline conservative denominations, including the Southern Baptist Convention. Christians are dissatisfied with what God gave them. They want more. And so they start looking outside of the Bible. What's the danger there? Now there's no backstop to your theology. Anything goes. Guy tells me he had a dream. God told him to leave his wife. Well, did she, she cheat on you or something? No, I just don't want to be with her, and God told me I need to leave her. Well, friends, that's blatantly against God's word. What should you do if you feel like you had a vision or a dream? You feel like God's motivating you to do something. Great, leave it at that. God motivated you. Don't make much of it. Don't share it in your Sunday school. Oh, God gave me this vision and dream. That's not what we're supposed to proclaim. What did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 4? Preach your dreams. No, nope. he said, preach the word preach the word. That's what we share. We don't want to try to give everybody this feeling that Christianity is a bunch of mystical experiences. It's faith in what God has already said. In fact, I'll give you one more verse here before we take off. Uh, who was it in the New Testament that relied on their dreams? Jude chapter 1 verse 8. He's talking about false teachers, false prophets. He says, yet in like manner, these people also what? Relying on their dreams. What did they do? They defiled the flesh, they rejected authority, and they blasphemed the glorious ones. They're always calling out angels and demons and all kinds of crazy stuff. It was the false teachers. The only time you see dreams in the New Testament, I mean, under the New Covenant, Pentecost on, is when false teachers are like, yeah, I know your book, you're cute, that you still need the Bible, but I talk to God directly. It's cute that you just are sitting here trusting the word of God, but I have God communicate to me through visions and dreams. Who did that in the, Old Test in the New Testament? Jude 1.8, it was the false teachers who relied on their dreams. We've got to be careful. 
don't always have your heart lingering and looking for something beyond what God has already given. He's given us a completed word of Scripture. Be careful when you attribute something to God that isn't found in Scripture. If you feel like it motivated you toward the Lord, let it be that. But now seek him in his word, because that's where the truth is that will anchor you to something. Because frankly, if it's just everybody's having their own visions and dreams, each one of you now becomes the authority and not God. We're not going to be that church. You say, well, that's not going to happen in our church. Friends, that can happen in any church. I was a part of a really strong, and I'll, I'll close this illustration. I was part of a really good, strong church. Okay, My wife and I, we grew up Baptist church, went to Bible college. We were touring the country on a music group. Many of you know this. She played the piano and I sang. And we toured the country, and we... To save money, the school would make us stay the night with people in the churches that we were doing the ministry in. So I have a lot of stories. Uh, one of those stories is we visited with this family, and she seemed like a pretty normal lady. And you know where I'm going with this, don't you? And I'm going to tell you one of about 100 stories I could tell you from that night. She would t share with us that, by the way, she says, you know there's demons in every house. Hello. She says, there are demons in every house. And I went to a conference. This man taught me how to exercise the demons from my house. We say, really? And we're just listening. And I'm like 19 or something, 20 maybe. And uh, just, okay, go on. Oh, yeah, you have to go through. And in the name of Jesus Christ, and she's given us this incantation we're supposed to do around our house. She says, oh, but I learned this last conference. There's something special you got to do. You have to open up the closet doors. She says, because if you just cast a demon out of your house, the demon's going to stay in your closet. Evidently, demons are legalists. If you don't get the words right, man, they're going to stay right there in your house. And so here she is going around her house. She's opening up all her underwear drawers and her closets and her jewelry box and her wallet and her purse. And she's casting demons out of each one of these individual little places all around the house. And it was so exhausting to her. Do you know what she told us? This is why I don't let lost people into my home. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, I don't let them in because lost people bring demons into your house. And then I got to start this all over again. Where'd she get all these ideas, friend? Is that found in the Bible? It's not found in my Bible. Friends, this isn't a normal, healthy, doctrinally sound Baptist church, and we still have folks that believe sometimes, ooh, crazy stuff, okay? By the way, this is why as a church, we ask you if you're a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, and you're not using curriculum, send in what you have, because you might be healthy, but how do I know that Kevin over here isn't telling people to cast demons out of jewelry boxes? He doesn't teach that, by the way, but he could. This is why we have accountability. So when Brad, at your Sunday school trainings, asks you to submit what you're teaching your people, an outline of what you're submitting, please don't, please don't push back on him. You're probably fine. We got old, you know, demon casting out Kevin over here in that class, and he needs to be reined in a little bit, okay? So facetious, but I, I'm, I'm being dead serious. This is important, that the word of God alone is our authority. There's a lot of craziness out there, people doing Christian tarot card readings and things I can't even talk about. There's just too many. Let's make it simple. This is our authority. Like Paul told Timothy, there's other people who are gonna look for authorities beyond this scripture. But as for you, continue in the things that you have learned. Father, we thank you this morning that we can study your word, that we can submit ourselves fully to you through what you have revealed, God, as we continue to study the Bible and its scriptures and we see that it is an inspired book from you. That through, your word even says, through many infallible proofs, we can see that the word of God is not a book that man would ever write, even if he had the ability. It condemns us and it strips us of all power so that only God gets the glory. And it's not a man, book that man could write 
We didn't know the paths of the sea. We didn't know about spherical earth. Uh, we didn't know about the rise and fall of these earthly kingdoms in, in the book of Daniel. There's just things, too many things, 300 prophecies about Christ. There's too many things that we just could not know apart from you. God, we see your signature all over the pages of Scripture. I pray that as a church, God, we would stand firm on the promises of your word and your word alone, that we would not be discontent in our spirits, always looking for some new book, some new word, some new prophecy, some new way of having a spiritual feeling or experience, but God, help us to rest our faith in what you praise the centurion for. Didn't have to go to his house. Say the word, and I believe it. God, may we have faith like that because your word says it. God, I will follow and I will obey and I will trust you with the outcome. We pray this in Christ's name. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to make a decision to ask Christ into your heart, click on the link in the show notes and we will be able to help you find your way to Jesus. If you enjoyed today's message, give our podcast channel some love by liking and subscribing to it. And as promised, If you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at UBC Ashland. Thank you for spending the day with us. We hope that you have a blessed day.